This episode of Uncontrolled Airspace is made possible by the support of our generous listeners. For over seven years, we've been thrilled to enjoy the financial support and useful feedback of our awesome listeners. For information on how you can join the conversation on our forums, put something in the UCAP tip jar, or even become an underwriter of a UCAP episode, visit the UCAP homepage at uncontrolledairspace.com. Clear. But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat now. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> All right, then. Well, why don't we just jump into this thing? There's a list. I had it open a second ago. What the hell did I do? I did, too. There it is. Yeah. Morgan Fairchild. Here's the deal. So you, you can crash your airplane, and I don't even know how to start this story. Uh, a sentimental <laughs> excuse, David? Is that, what's, the, what's going on here? What was this story? What happened here? This guy crashed his plane into the trees and then just left. He walked away. I mean, he, I mean, it's good that he was able to walk away. On oh, that part, it's great, all right? But he, did, in fact, left. So by the time anybody arrived to help or investigate, he was gone, right? Is that what happened? Well, it doesn't seem that he was there when law enforcement and others started showing up. As, Dave, as, you, as you are wont to say, ding, ding, ding. Yeah, so that doesn't sound like a, a responsible way. I don't know, you know. And why did he say he left? He had, he had an excuse, though. Well, he had oh, yeah. some place to be. Yeah, right. That's why you fly airplanes, man, because yeah, you got to save right. time. You know, he was going somewhere when he landed in that tree. This and he's cra- just completing the trip. Yeah, yeah this, right. whole, this whole crashing in the tree thing is just a minor inconvenience. <laughs> I, I got to get to this thing. You know. Yeah, right. So uh, where did this all happen? I want to say someplace in Pennsylvania, right? Al- uh, Altamont, New York, of all places. Oh, Altamont, New York. Uh, is that like Altamont? Like No, Altamont, no, the California. rock concert was in that California. Was, Never mind. California. Yeah. And here's the thing. Yeah. I, I had my own little incident uh, a number of years ago that we won't re-litigate re, uh, at this point. But, uh, you know, a question came up. You should be on the phone right this second reporting this. And, well, as it turned out, nothing in the NTSB regs that were in effect at the time required me to do that. Since no one had gone to the hospital... Since the damage to the airplane was, uh, it wasn't flyable, but it wasn't, uh, it was, it, it could roll and the engine could be started. I don't, I, you guys know these rules way better than I do, but I'm not buying this, right? This is, yeah, I don't, I should have dropped what, a dime and report. I don't see what rule the guy violated, except maybe the good sense to say, hey, Fizdo, you're going to hear about this from somebody. <laughs> well, So let me just give people the background here. This is from a story at adweb.com. Uh, the headline is, Pilot Sneaks Away from Crash. Quote, lots of pilots walk away from plane crashes, but Fred Jackson admits he snuck away from one in Altamont, New York, on June 14th. Jackson told the Albany Times Union he was trying to keep the crash of his newly restored, this is the heartbreaking part, his newly restored Piper Clipper from the FAA when he shinnied down the tree and left the expensive aircraft literally hanging. Um, and uh, he was uh, so. What's the party he was on his way to? This is this is the okay part. He was on his way to the big uh, Piper homecoming thing, the Sentimental Journey uh, um, thing in Lock Haven, Pennsylvania, right? And he did. And he made it. And he made it. Didn't have he, his airplane. He, but he, small. He detail. didn't get there in the Clipper. Yeah. He, yeah. So so, uh, uh, so he went to the he went to the uh, Sentimental Journey event, um, and then. 
uh, um, return to the to the scene of the um, uh, the incident. I hesitate to call it an accident because I don't know. It, obviously, there was no serious injury. Um, the airplane um, can't be good for it to land in a tree, but hey, stranger things have happened. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. But uh, uh, excuse me, but tell me where it is. I have to tell. I have to notify the FAA of anything. I, and when when an incident or an accident happens, as I said, you guys know the rules better than I do. I mean, you can't you can't crash your car and then walk away, right? You got to get it. That's it depends the, on where you are, and it depends on the crash. Okay, yeah. so if, if you, you didn't take out anybody, if you didn't send anybody bleeding or broken to the hospital or the morgue, uh, there's a great reduction in your reporting responsibilities. If you roll your car on a highway and don't involve anybody else, there's a great reduction in your reporting responsibilities. Now, your insurance company may not see eye to eye with that, but that's a different issue. So, so he he, he had problems with his airplane. Uh, does it say here what the problems were? What the nature of the, <laughs> the engine quit? Yeah, well, yeah, the engine quit. <laughs> so the engine quit. He went into the trees. That's, he shinnied down that, the tree. He went to Sentinel Journey. Yeah. He returned a couple of days later to his airplane, where which strictly speaking still hadn't landed. All right. <laughs> <laughs> this is a very interesting distinction. <laughs> <clears throat> this is this is very interesting. Do you, do you think he could log this? <laughs> yeah, right. It's like so. Uh, and uh, man's get great gas mileage. Yeah. But Ossifer, but I put fifty six point three on the hog. Yeah, yeah. I'll phone it in as soon as I'm on the ground. Okay, and uh, so and it's only got two and a half hours of fuel. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, Fred Jackson uh, from somewhere near Altamont, New York. Um, this is the off-field landing. This is one of our off-field landings of the week. Yeah. I think we got a couple this week. But uh, I think that the key to this is, yeah, you know, if you're going to land your airplane in a tree and then you know kind of disappear for a couple of days, you're probably going to leave behind one very annoyed property owner. Yeah, there, there you go. Yep. So, so you know, before you abandon the airplane, either get a bill of sale from the property owner, <laughs> yeah, okay, or get it out of the tree. Yeah, that's probably good advice. Right, pay, pay the property owner some rent or something. I'll be back for it. Yeah, Got to go. Tool, with tools and equipment, yeah. I'll be back. There you go. Hey, on that note, welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson coming to you from, uh, boy, did we have a big thunderstorm here this afternoon, Epping, New Hampshire. Uh, it, it was a big boomer and hail and, and a tornado watch and, and the whole thing. I can... Uh, I could show you the radar returns that went right over my house here. In, in New Hampshire. Well, you, you know, Kansas yeah. has been trying to export that weather for a profit. Yeah, so. well, yeah no, we ain't paying. Um, or we are paying, but not to Kansas, I don't think. But uh, anyways, I'm here with two of my good friends. Uh, uh, also in thunderstorm country, I think. I don't know. Dave Higdon's here from Wichita, Kansas, where this is not only thunderstorm, but tornado country. Has tornado season officially started in Kansas? Dave? Oh, yeah, weeks ago. Yeah, okay. So... Um, how you doing, David? What's going on? Tornado-free for years. Uh, <laughs> Just barely. You've had a couple uh, yeah. of close calls in the last couple of years. Uh, we've, well, we've, we saw our first near-miss six weeks after we moved here in 91, so uh, we know what it looks like on the horizon now. Uh, but, yeah, we're having a lovely time. Beautiful uh, July 3rd. Uh, it's looking like it's going to be a stellar weekend, moderate temperatures. Uh, folks were headed to the lakes already. And, uh, uh, you know, we, we hope to unwrap motorcycle, go to airport, maybe do a fly-in over the weekend. So, yeah. 
It's shaping up well. Cool, cool. Yeah, for uh, people listening later on, we're recording this episode on uh, on uh, July 3rd, uh, which is the day before uh, Independence Day here in the United States. So uh, Every year. Every year. So uh, um, everybody's getting ready for, for some fun. And, uh, and, and speaking of getting ready for some fun, my other good friend here is uh, Jeb Burnside, talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. What's up with you, Jeb? I'm trying to figure out your segue, fun Jeb. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, it was uh, irony. Well, okay, thank you. Sarcasm. I guess. Sarcasm. That's sarcasm. What it was. Yes, that's yes, what it okay. was. Uh, thunderstorms down there. It's a thunderstorm country down there. Well, it, it it can be certainly. It has not rained today. We've not had any thunderstorm warnings today. Um, the hurricane, the only hurricane of which I'm aware of so far this season, is marching its way up the U.S. East Coast. Yeah, it's headed my way actually. Not to Florida. Yeah. Um, um, the, it's a beautiful day. It's warm. There's some white puffies. Um, there's a breeze. Uh, the palm trees are swaying. Um, life is good. Yeah. Hey, has Junior flown yet, or is Junior, Junior still around? Junior, Junior is has soloed. Junior is um, on his way to becoming an accomplished aviator. Right. He's even he, he's even um, done a lot of formation flying. Uh, and, so and, you're, and, you're you're certain of this? You, you, I, you I've can seen recognize. this with my own Mark One Mod One eyeball. Tell us who Junior is, just for anybody who didn't listen to the last episode. Junior is the um, very young um, um, Sandhill crane that was hatched on my on the island in my backyard. Yep, and uh, has has uh, since um, gotten almost as big as the smaller of his parents. Um, this has been in the order of four months, something like that, maybe mm. three, three and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite a quite an interesting uh, um, growth spurt, if you will. Yeah. Um, and last episode you reported on last, the somewhat last, embarrassing. Yeah, last some- episode we were talking about him his initial um, forays in learning to fly. Yeah. And my 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 conclusion was that even birds aren't born that way; they still have to learn it, just like humans. That's right. That's right. So, uh, but anyway, punchline is yes, he is he is improving. He is he's racking up the hours. The, again, the formation flying, high frequency ops. Uh, don't know if he's really, you know, taken off over gross or anything yet. Don't know about any cross countries. So, uh, you know, he's he's moving right along. We expect him to to work on a multi rating in the sometime in the near future. <laughs> Wait a minute, what? How does that work? No, uh, as he gets mature and, and starts looking at other birds, and and uh, I see. Uh, it, it's it was a, it was a the Mile High Club is what you're getting uh, at here. Something something like that. Yeah, um, I, I can't figure out though if. He comes with an automatic tail dragger endorsement, or if that's an add-on. <laughs> what tail draggers? Uh, DC three. What's this story from CNN.com? A story uh-oh, about uh, uh-oh. the DC three. It says the unbelievable airliner that just won't quit. I've commented on this a number of times. This is uh, I find the DC. I mean, this is no big revelation, but I find the DC three to be one of the most remarkable airplanes that's ever existed, and. Uh, um, CNN.com has got this story here about uh, uh, almost uh, almost 80 years. It says almost 80 years after its induc- introduction, a few hundred DC-3s are estimated to still be flying worldwide. That's kind of unbelievable, CNN writes, uh, in an age when dozens of younger types of airliners have already retired to aviation boneyards. So uh, it's a cool story. I like the story. I mean, it's, it's yeah. you know it is what it is, but uh, it's you know. well, there's a, there's a fundamental truism about aircraft and aviation that I think is held throughout the ages. And that's when an airplane excels, 
in a particular area or a number of areas, its need never goes out of style. Its utility is forever, as long as those kind of missions are required. And then it's just a matter of whether the airplane holds up and whether you can keep them running. Uh, I mean, look at the number of 150s and 152s out there that are still flying flight training, you know, years, decades after the last one was built. Uh, the, the DC-3 is in that category in terms of, well, first, its legacy is as is, is a revolutionary airliner. But then it was so well built, so well designed, and so adaptable that, that you know it morphed into the into the uh, C forty seven, and did huge service in World War Two mm-hmm. and beyond. Yeah, and and I'm pretty sure Korea and re- Vietnam, as a matter of fact. Oh, absolutely, mm-hmm. Korea, absolutely Vietnam. Yeah. Uh, so the airplane still does well what it did originally. You know when Don Douglas first showed the design. I think it was American Airlines. Yeah, here's a DC. Here's a story that's a that's an intersection. Uh, this is lower down on the list. I'm kind of jumping around here. Um, intersection between two cool things: a DC three and Flaybob Airport uh, in uh, California. Uh, this is a story from EAA.org. Uh, the Flaybob Express, a DC three B aircraft that's now used as a learning instrument will return to Oshkosh for EAA Air Venture 2014. Um, the Flaybob Express, built in 1943 in Long Beach, California, was originally, there you go, David, a C-47B uh, staff transport. Um, and it goes on to just talk about this, airport, this uh, airplane that uh, is uh, apparently something of a, of a mascot there at, at Flaybob Airport. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's going to come. I don't know if I've ever seen this particular aircraft before. Um, I have visited. Have you ever visited Flaybob Airport? I, I have not, but I think I have seen the airplane before. Uh-huh. Talked, so. David, have you ever been to Flaybob Airport? <laughs> One Flaybob. time. Yeah, I was there probably, well, since, since I moved back from California, so it would be probably 15, 20, even 20 years ago. So Flaybob's down south, sort of uh, inland, but but sort of a beam LA-ish kind of area. And uh, Flaybob, is, is, it's just a cool little GA airport. I mean, it's kind of, kind of you know, not, not the, at least when I was there 20 years ago, not the spiffiest airport in the world. But it had a bunch of hangars and a runway and a lot of activity. It's the home of... Um, EAA Chapter 1. EAA Chapter 1, exactly right. So it's yeah. got a great uh, EAA uh, heritage which, as which well. Is the, which is the chapter to which uh, EAA's current chairman's father belonged to. Oh, when, okay. Uh, I, yeah, that's right. I think we talked about that when we talk, you're, you're talking about Jack Pelton, the uh, current yeah. chairman of EAA. And when we talked about yeah, My one trip there was uh, when the uh, uh, EAA was starting an ultralight movement within the organization, and they had an ultralight division. And there was something launching out at Flaybob uh, where legendary EAA Chapter 1 started. This was going to be one of the earliest, if not the first, uh, ultralight operation out there. Yeah, uh, or, or they were having an event for the first time. I don't remember. It's kind of fuzzy. That was the eighties. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. There you go. Um, but uh, so Flaybob, Flaybob Express. I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing that right. Flaybob. Uh, Flaybob. Yeah, yeah. Express will be at Air Venture. I'm sure there'll be a handful of other uh, DC threes, and of course there there are a bunch of DC threes at uh, at Oshkosh. Because does that piston? Uh, not correction. That uh, turbine uh, tr- uh, conversion operation still exist there at, at uh, Whitman at, at, at Spasler. 
Awesome yeah, that's Basler. Do they, but yeah. do they still do those turbine convention conversions? Uh, whenever they have the opportunity. Yeah. I, I, would, I would guess if you talk to them right, they would do one for you. Yeah, okay. Well, there you go. Well, so, just just uh, as I would if you talked to yeah. me right. So, DC-3, cool airplane, and uh, and uh, one of the many things we're going to see in Oshkosh in a couple weeks. You know, for years, I, I when I was younger, I'd always heard of the Flay Bob Airport, but I always thought it was somewhere in a Florida panhandle. It has that kind of a sound to it, doesn't it? It does, it does, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's out in Southern California, inland from, uh, I suppose, it's too bad there isn't a device I could use to look up a map that would show me. It, it was, it's, it's incredible in this day and age. Why yeah, such a thing but uh, but in fact, I'm going to move on because we got so many things. That's a, probably a good idea. Yeah, yeah. So map, map, map us to another spot. I know, huh? Okay, here we go. So I, this, this starts out being, but I just wanted to talk about this for a second. Ten things we no longer see at airports. You know how I love lists. And, and this one has the, uh, the, uh, the, the added benefit of kind of getting my blood boiling a little bit. Well, we have to modify this. Yeah. Ten things we no longer see uh, in the passenger side of commercial service. Exactly right. That's exactly where I was headed with this. So if this is you – know, now – we take the whole thing with a grain of salt because it's from a website called mentalfloss.com. All right. It could well be a very, very fun... <laughs> this uh, is an important distinction. Yeah, right. But it is, in fact, from a, from a website called mentalfloss.com. Uh, ten things we no longer see at airports. Number one, observation decks. Well, you're right. We see them all the time at GA airports. What's the big yeah. deal? All right? yeah. Yeah. In fact, I see observation decks at... Uh, at the airline airports occasionally as well. Not quite. Yeah, there's there's, uh, there's one in, in BWI. It's it's enclosed. I believe it's enclosed. It might still have an open air component, but it's it's you know the same same general principle. Uh, but it is in fact um, beyond security. It is between a couple of concourses, yeah. so you uh, yeah. you have to you know you have a ticket to get through it to it, but. It is what it is. Yeah, no. Well, in Manchester, yeah. you don't need a ticket. You could, there's a open to the public. You know, if you're if you're seeing your friends off, there's a uh, there's an in, it's inside. It's behind glass, but it is right out at the edge of the terminal building, right looking overlooking the ramp. So uh, yeah. Um, and you, well, we we've been seeing a return of observation areas that uh, combined with aviation themed playgrounds and picnic areas yeah. at a lot of big GA airports. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So. Uh, you know, there's it's not glass. You'd have a hard time, you know, projecting anything through the barrier fence that separates the people from the airplanes. But uh, it's a nice place where you can experience the noise and the jet wine and the smell of the jetty in the morning, which yeah, we so yeah. love. Next thing on the list, number two, colorful, distinctive luggage tags. And maybe they got a little bit of a point here. I don't, I, you know, it's and they've got a bunch of examples here. Back in the day, when the luggage tags were all pre-printed and then uh, other information was scribbled on them by hand, and and every airline had its own sort of distinctive look for their luggage tags. And um, yeah, that's kind of you know. And now they're all generically computer printed and stuck on with self-adhesive tape and so it, forth. It, and sadly, there's nothing about the, the the luggage tag requirements that wouldn't allow them to still do this. They'd still just need to be able to set apart that barcode information that's on all the new tags. Yeah, yeah. You know, as a frequent airline traveler, I'll tell you, one of the benefits of the new way um, is that they automatically print your name and phone number on your luggage mm-hmm. tag, on the, on the baggage tag. So you no longer have to worry so much about, you know, if you don't have a, a luggage tag with your name on it. So there's good things and bad things. But these are kind of, attra- you know, they're interesting bits of history, and they're kind of not unattractive. And that's, <laughs> that's kind of too bad. Number three. But, but, but we don't need need no stinking baggage no no right exactly (laughs) Um, 
Uh, number three, and this is, uh, you know, this may be one of the few good things. No, it's like, I'm not sure. <laughs> this may be one of the few good things we've gotten from the TSA, and that's uh, there are no more Hare Krishnas at the airports. And so I guess I'll just leave that at that. Um, but uh, it's true. There are no more. You hardly ever see. I don't know if I've ever in years and years. Courtesy cars. See, now this is just not true. There's cur- courtesy cars all over the place at general yeah. aviation airports. You just have to know where to ask. Yeah. You know, sometimes you're afraid they aren't going to get you halfway to your, you know, a mile away, but uh, but but there are courtesy cars, and most of them are pretty decent and and mm-hmm. uh, you know free or nearly free, fill up the tank kind of thing. So. Uh, see now, th- this one really is, is, strikes me as a straw man. Which okay. one, courtesy cars? Yeah. Okay. Why? Well, I'm, re- I'm reading what the guy says here. Believe it or not, one of the perks offered by most major airports to businessmen—they did most of flying at the time—was the use of an airport-owned automobile. For a nominal fee. For a nominal fee. Well, that's, I, that's, that's, that's not a courtesy car. That's a freaking rental car. I You're know. just talking about the rental business shifting from the airport yeah. to an outfit that will handle it and pay the airport for the privilege. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> number courtesy five. cars, as we know them in general aviation, are alive and well and at general aviation airports. That's right. That's right. Well, or, or at the FBO across the field from the terminal. That would be the GA side. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so number five, coin operated TV chairs. I don't know. This looks like a prop from the movie 2001, if you ask me. I, it's just, it, it looks like something if I put money in it, it would grab me. Yeah, I know. This is a scary looking chair. This is like, you know, uh, coin operated meats, you know, or, or magic fingers on steroids or acid or something. Right, yeah. You know, and now yeah. there's TVs everywhere you go in the airport. So this is, but, but I carry would, one I, in your pocket. I'm quick to point out that there are still basic, what is effectively coin operated internet connectivity at the oh. airports. So, well, yeah. Yeah. Coin operated massage chairs. Yeah. So, uh, and uh, electrotherapy chairs at airports. Uh, there's a lot of coin operated chairs still at airports. Uh, they, they, they take more coin and do different things. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Like plastic card activated. I know, exactly. Number six, <laughs> free baggage carts. So these are the little carts, you know, basically like grocery shopping carts, but for piling up your baggage. And, and I just don't even know. I don't even remember these ever being free. I don't know. I can't remember. Oh, yeah. Remember they used to be free? Yeah. 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 These days we have baggage carts built into our luggage, so you really kind of don't need this anymore. And they used to be as hard to find as a free grocery cart on sale day yeah. at the Safeway. Yeah. So, anyways, all right. There are no more free baggage carts. Char- char- charging for them cut down on a superfluous use. Yeah. Yeah. Welcoming and bidding farewell at the gate. Okay, yeah, they can't. People, you know, non-passengers can't go yeah. all the way to the actual gate, and that's unfortunate. But uh, you know, most airports, I you know, have a place. You know, there's a sort of a, a very common place just outside security where you'll see people gathering, and that's where you know. And then of course you can hang out in in luggage, and so there's plenty of places. To, you can't go to the gate. Yeah, you can't go to the gate. And okay, that's going, going to the gate disappeared with the seventies. Yeah. Number eight, I don't even know what to make of this one. Life insurance kiosks. I don't know. What's You're like. flying out of the wrong airports. Yeah. There aren't life insurance kiosks anymore at any any airline airport, right? That's like... No, now they sell it to you with your ticket online. Oh, that's true. Oh, you know, that's absolutely true, isn't it? You know, when you check yeah. in for your flight, you got to battle your way through to the place where you get to print the boarding pass. It's just a, it's a, it's an obstacle course of, of, of you know upselling to you know your baggage and your better seating and your insurance yeah you're right okay yeah so you're right this isn't gone 
It's just has a different shape now. Than it well, so far, most of what this guy's talking about is still around. It's just trans been transformed because somebody different could make more money. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Outdoor stairs is your only option. Well, okay, for airlines, but at, not at our airports, not at real airports. <laughs> real airports, you got to go outdoors to get out of the airplane. You know. Well, this yeah. is another one where the, the, the guy's airplane. exposure is really limited because yeah. he's not flying into some of the smaller airline airports. Yeah. Yeah. Although, you know, occasionally I'm seeing GA airports. I mean, not very many, but it, but uh, GA airports where they build a great big monster over, you know, roof over the ramp mm-hmm. so that the biz yeah. jets can you, can be out of the rain so that their 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 execs and whatever don't have to board and unboard. Um, yeah. Board. Well, unboard. And, and, the, and the RJs give you, it, give you the option, most of them, of using a air stair door. Uh rather than requiring the use of a jetway. And so if they build those, uh, those, are, those overhangs can be a little bit more cost-effective than an individual jetway for every plane, plus has a different level of flexibility. Yeah. And then number 10, smoking. Um, well, you know, that's true everywhere. I don't know if this is an airport thing. And quite frankly, it's, again, only an airline thing, not a uh, right. not a uh, across-the-board thing. So I don't know. Anyway, so this is a Mental Floss, uh, uh, apparently written by someone named Kara Kov- Kovalchik. Um, and, uh, you know... It's a ten, it's a it's a numbered list. Numbered lists are big on the internet these days, and uh, you know they're they're they usually get lots of hits. I can give you three reasons that should not be the case. Why is that? Go ahead. Number oh, yeah. Okay, never mind. I just got it. All right. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, God, we're running already. Running. Well, no, we got a few minutes here. Um, is there really any news about uh, about uh, Malaysia three seventy? No, not really. Um, What's the joke? Well, how would the joke go? It would go something like, Malaysia 370 is still missing. That's right. Still hanging, still valiantly hanging on in its fight to remain missing. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, um, Australia um, said, it's not here or something well, like they, that. Well, they said it's not where we were looking. Uh, and in fact, they even went Duh. so far. Yeah, well, yeah, even went so far as to say that uh, the pings that they heard... Oh, around the 30th day or so since the airplane went missing, perhaps weren't really even the pings we were looking for. Yeah, I know. It was so, just... uh, and then you've got uh, a U.S. Navy uh, uh, serving officer um, saying that, uh, you know, these are probably something that was the pings that were supposedly tracked and, and listened to and plotted. It may have been something from one of the ships that was doing the plotting in the first place. Yeah, some sort of weird echo of, uh, yeah, um, right. So, you know, I guess my reaction is, is they they don't have a clue yet where this airplane still is, or still don't have a clue where this airplane is. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not likely that they're going to get one unless they stumble across it. Yep, yep. Um, it, it's, it's just mind-boggling to me still that there's not been a trace of this airplane found. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. I don't know. We'll we'll we'll, we'll report back. Yeah. Yeah. So um, FAA approves superior cylinder AMOC. Mm-hmm. First of all, what's an AMOC? alternative method of compliance? Ah, okay. Jeb, is this the thing we talked about a bunch of episodes ago that affects your airplane? It does. And so, what is this? Is this a good thing? Is this a step it's, forward? Yeah, an AMOC is always is generally, I should say, a good thing. Uh-huh. Uh, to roll the clock back maybe six months or so. 
um, at that point in time, there's an existing airworthiness directive on the cylinders I installed in my airplane when I had the engine overhauled about 10 years ago. Um, and I've been complaining with the AD. It's, it's not a problem. Um, the AD, I don't think, is really necessary. It's certainly onerous and burdensome. Um, now, the FAA, in its <clears throat> infinite wisdom, cough, <coughs> cough. Yeah, okay. Uh, <clears throat> <clears throat> I'm sorry, I was laughing at the airplane yeah. references earlier, but yeah. um, decided a, a couple, three months ago, that um, um, uh, inspecting and leak checking these cylinders every 50 hours wasn't enough. That they should, in fact, and retiring them from service at 1,700 hours uh, wasn't enough. They should be retired from service um, per the, the, the engine manufacturer's calendar recommendations for TBO in addition to their hour recommendations for TBO. It just so happens my jugs were, were at the time, coming up on their 11th birthday. Um, and, uh, you know, one more year and da-da-da-da-da. So uh, the AMOC was developed that involves doing some bore scope inspections, and that's not nearly as onerous as it has been in the past. Um, a friend of mine's got a, a very good borescope system, and we, we've done mine recently on on it, and we'll do it again in the, in the near future. So it's not a big deal. It's just one more, uh, you know, little little. Uh, uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's one more pain in the butt. How about that? It's mm-hmm. one more pe- one more pita um, associated with cylinders and trying to trying to operate cylinders on piston engines these days. Um, I don't know what the solution is. Replacing them is a roll of the dice because um, I can buy a brand new set of, of TCM cylinders today, and tomorrow there'll be an AD against those cylinders. So uh, you know, you, you you do the best you can. You live with what you got. Yeah. Okay. Um, David, anything you want to add to that, or uh... I can only imagine the frustration. Yeah. yeah, I can well imagine the frustration because we've owned an airplane, and if we were looking at something like this, going, really, you get a high time operator, and when I say high time operator, I'm talking about somebody that flies more than fifty hours a year. That's mm-hmm. that's that's going to mean compression check, leak check, bore scope. Sometimes, well. If a guy's flying 150 hours a year, he's going to do that twice between annuals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Holy crap. Uh, I, I, had, I know half a dozen guys flying single-engine piston airplanes that are going to be affected by this. Yeah. If, like, if, you're yeah. Set up, if you're set up for it, it's only maybe a couple-hour evolution. If you've got the tools and, and uh, uh, skilled technicians there to do it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but if you don't have the tools and equipment and you don't have the skill technician, um, then it's a little bit more onerous. You have to actually fly the airplane somewhere where it can be done. You might have to leave it overnight, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, it's, it's certainly not an, a, a trivial thing by any stretch. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's, it's not. I, I, I agree with the consensus. This is a, a, an improvement of, of significance, but... I look at this and say, you know, I'm all, I can only hope that as this rolls out over time, that maybe some of the early experiences with the 50-hour inspections might lead them to expand that out to a 100-hour. 
100 hours could it be so much easier for 95% of the operators yeah, to deal that's with. True. That's true. But yeah. 50 hours is going to catch a lot of guys having to do this a second mm-hmm. and, and sometimes a third time because if they don't go ahead and do it at annual, they're going to have to do it again in two months. Right. Yeah. That yeah. kind of thing. So so uh, the AMOC <clears throat> is, a, is, a, is better than... AMOC it's, is better than nothing, but um, the FAA still needs to uh, come up with some better justification for these step, for these moves. Okay. Yeah, the rationalization behind this whole thing still comes up light in my view. But, yeah. Yeah. you know, they haven't put me on salary yet, so my views never counted for much. Yeah. A few episodes back, um, I was uh, I was uh, inspired by a, a, a historic video, interview video um, with a World War II pilot to ask the question: Which is a better airplane, the uh, P fifty one Mustang or the Spitfire? And and we had a conversation about that, and and I'm not sure what we decided, um, but uh, there it, it prompted some conversation in the UCAP forums, and uh, there's some interesting stuff there. I won't try and re- recount it all, but one in particular was interesting, from a listener who goes in the forums by the name of C A S, or strictly speaking, C underscore A underscore S. Um, who writes, uh, just a few quick notes about the Spit V Mustang discussion. Uh, first of all, he writes, Tom Cruise owns a P-51, but Brad Pitt bought himself a Spitfire this year. I'm not sure what that means. Um, I, it certainly gives me an idea of which is a cooler airplane, but I won't go into that. Uh, he then goes on to say, there are 37 flyable Spitfires left. Uh, contrary to the discussion, they were all metal, other than the wingtips and control surfaces of early models, though Hurricanes were constructed with wooden fabric. Uh, he says He goes on to say, but I think I read about magnesium rivets being used for wartime availability and lightweight, but not longevity, with the rivet's lifespan uh, at one to two years actually longer than the expected lifetime of the airframe in combat. Restorers, he writes, had to replace all of these fairly quickly, just one of the challenges for Spitfires surviving the war. And he mm-hmm. talks a little bit more about some other resources about Spitfire, uh, Spitfires and Spitfire training and, uh, and, uh, and restoration and that kind of thing. It's kind of interesting. I particularly like the, the closing graph in his post. He writes, Last summer, up in Scotland, I took the kids looking for bottlenose dolphins uh, in the Moray Firth. He said, I found myself alone watching a single Spitfire practicing for a tribute flight the next week, pulling off the most incredible acrobatics, pulling high G-turns, pulling out of dives just meters above the water, the engine roaring, in the most amazing scenery. I will never forget it, he writes, and I grew up at Oshkosh around warbirds. That's kind of an interesting image. It's, it's, a, very, it's a very cool image. Quite a quite yeah, a it really shot, is uh, that uh, CAS got uh, when he was traveling in in Great Britain. So, uh, um, and there's more here. Um, a few of the, uh, our own Scoffrey Jet uh, uh, Jeff Ward uh, uh, chimed in with uh, a, a brief note about his. Uh, he apparently encountered some uh, some Spitfires in in uh, Scotland as well. So uh, take a look at the forums. You don't have to be uh, registered for the forums to read these things, and uh, and then you can register and make a post. It's uh, at uh, UK, uh, uncontrolledairspace.com. What else? Uh, before we take a break, uh, uh, Jeb, I don't know exactly who Danny Fitch was. Is there anything you can, what, what can you tell us about Danny Fitch? Danny Fitch um, was, a, uh, I guess, a captain, uh, I think actually a Czech airman for United Airlines back in 1989. And uh, one day found himself hitching a ride, I believe, from uh, Denver to... Uh, Chicago, 
I don't remember the exact routing of the airplane, but I think it departed Denver. Um, this was a DC-10, and uh, about 30 or so minutes into its flight, it uh, decided to throw the, the number two engine, uh, disintegrating its, uh, itself in the process and uh, slicing through the hydraulic lines. This was uh, a precursor to what became known as uh, United Flight 232, uh, which ended up in a cornfield next to the runway in Sioux City, Iowa. Mm-hmm. Um, Fitch was deadheading home uh, after uh, flying some trips, and uh, when he realized the uh, airplane was in trouble, he uh, asked for permission to, to uh, enter the cabin. I mean, I'm sorry, enter the cockpit. It was granted, and he ended up being the guy sitting on the floor behind the throttle quadrant manipulating the throttles to try to keep the airplane under control because that was the only control these, these crew members had left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, all four of them in the cockpit survived. Um, Fitch, um, you know, literally was there only by chance, uh, but helped save the, the crew and untold lives. He passed away recently. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, just one of those uh, things that you want to try to remember uh, from uh, days gone by. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you tell that story. It was... You know, I mean, United 232 was quite a story, and, and, and what you described, the whole, you know, the whole, uh, um, what do they call it, cockpit uh, management, right? Is a word um, for it, I'm sorry. Crew, crew resource management. Crew resource CRA. management. Um, and, and it was a relatively new concept. In back then it was, and, yeah. uh, uh-huh. and, and it seems like it made a huge difference to the, to the uh, relative success of that, of that flight. It did. Well, the, what, no what, what, is, what are the most stunning uh, lessons out of this it was it just what a difference a, a, a team of very focused, very knowledgeable, experienced people can do when they're dedicated to solving one problem. Because these guys, Fitch among them, Al Haynes among them, uh, understood some things about aerodynamics and adverse yaw and roll yaw coupling uh, and pitch uh, response to power changes that were so deeply ingrained I'm not sure that they ever consciously thought about what they were doing in terms of the outcome they just knew what it would do but in multiple attempts to duplicate what these guys did in simulators, right, right, right. nobody came close. <clears throat> yeah, nobody could do it. Even when they had full knowledge and warning of what was going on, they still couldn't pull it off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, just I about. Mean, I, nope, nope. Nobody got a landing out of it, let alone a landing that let half the people survive. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Almost literally a miracle. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. Our uh, our thoughts and prayers are with uh, with the family of uh, Danny Fitch, and uh, we wish them all well. He was he was in his mid forties when when this happened, and uh, probably never had another moment of such combined stress, terror, hmm. and need to be professional as he had that day. I'm sure yeah. he went to his grave <laughs> glad that nothing like that ever happened to him I, again. I don't know if you consider things like that to be a good day or a bad day. Yeah, it truly, truly. Anyways, I, I'd have to go with the good day scenario. Yeah, yeah. I mean, considering the alternative, 
Yeah. That was the day you had. I love the comment about how he never really understood what made him decide to take that flight instead of one mm-hmm. that left five minutes earlier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways, we got to take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. We here at the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast are very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. Thank you. I don't know what to make of this story. Uh, Duat's under threat. Uh, let me actually look at it again here because I haven't looked at it in a, in a little while. Oh, this is from the forums. Um, Cozy171BH. Um, we decided one time we knew what that meant, right? Cozy, oh, this probably is his tail number. He probably flies a Cozy, and that's his tail number, I bet. Cozy171 Bravo Hotel writes, The Duat's flyer in the June issue of AOPA, AOPA Pilot, states that Duat's is under threat of FAA cancellation. Uh, the flyer encourages readers to go to their website, learn more, and contact their congressman. There's more. Um, do you know anything about this? Have you heard this story? Is is uh, so? Duat's is for is, for about that same point of time that the uh, uh, that, that this was posted in the forums. Uh, the Duat service I used had a, a notice up on their homepage. They did. Okay. Uh, that was similar in nature, FAA funding endangered kind of thing. Um, that. That notice is no longer up on my Duat site. I ah, don't okay. know why that is. I don't know what has changed. Um, if anything, it's probably simply the uh, uh, congressional budget and appropriations process, and uh, a matter of uh, um, ensuring that um, um, the Duat's uh, portion of it was fully funded. But I d- literally and truly don't know much more about it than that. Yeah, yeah. It's a, I, it's, at, the, at the time, I looked at AOPA and couldn't find anything on their right. website about it either. Yeah, so. I don't know. Maybe we should maybe we should look into it and get more information, or maybe we should get some. When we go to Oshkosh, we should try and report on this a little bit. That's not um, a bad idea. You know, Duots, and, and so I and and I have a little bit. Way back in the day, I was involved with a software startup that was based on Duots. Because so, Duots was originally, so this is in the pre well, the pre World Wide Web days, um, and Duots was a sort of terminal, you know, software based system, so that uh, anybody, a- average pilot, could log into the system and get weather briefings and. File I think flight it was things. a CompuServe baby. Well, too. I think it was. That was one of the early ways that you yeah. accessed it. All right, but it yeah. was I'll, beneath, you know, a layer or two beneath that. It was this service that was basically run by the government, or at least you know sponsored by the government. Um, and then over the years, various other services were built, layered upon this original Duot service. And they basically they called themselves Duots in one way or another, or made reference to Duots. But but the the original Duot service is kind of buried deep down, many layers beneath what it is we see on the internet these days. And so uh, I don't know whether all of these and, – and I know for a fact that AOPA's flight planner and, and or at least earlier versions, I don't know about the current one, but, but 10 years ago, 
AOPA's um, online flight planner and flight um, um, fl- uh, uh, flight plan filing system and things like that, um, we're all uh, ultimately dependent on Duots. Um, and uh, because the well, software it, company it, that I was involved with way back when actually wrote the original AOPA du- stuff. Duots came along at a time when the government had decided to, quote unquote, consolidate the flight service station network. That's right. That was all part of that kind of... 400 and some odd stations down to 70 odd regional stations with the proviso that they would, that the, 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 the flying public would have equal or better service, both in terms of the information disseminated, the information gathered, and one of the ways that they determined that they could shave on personnel, save and shave, was to create this automated electronic flight plan filing opportunity for people. Uh, it was all rolled into this is part of the same rollout, if, if uh, memory serves, and an opportunity for the uh, free enterprise community to step up and invent a system and bid to do the job and we wound up with two vendors and two avenues and competitive business, and now it's just so bloody diversified, and still Duots has a role. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll look into this a little bit and see what the real story is here. And I also have to wonder whether or not maybe now there's some other underlying technology available for doing this stuff online and that maybe Duots isn't, isn't as critical as it once was. Well, that, that's been the interesting thing is Duots has done a pretty decent job of keeping up in terms of advancing the portal through which you can file with Duots and expanding the platforms that you can use, which I think is one of the reasons why some of the uh, third-party programs still use that channel for final delivery of what you file through their software. Yeah, exactly. To actually get into the system. As sophisticated as things like uh, 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 ForeFlight are, uh, it still uses Duos to to get its basic right. weather information. Right. Yeah. So, anyways, we'll we'll, we'll talk more about this when we know more, um, and uh, <clears throat> you know, we'll, later on, probably at Oshkosh. Um, EAA uh, ha- Air Venture has announced the list of uh, movies that are going to be playing uh, throughout the week of, of Air Venture oh, in, in boy. The, the fly-in theater. All right, and uh, it has a little bit different feel this year. And I, I, I confess, I can't exactly you, remember. You the call movies. that a, you call that a little bit different feel? You, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, so the first, let's see. Let's go through the list here. Sunday, uh, July twenty seventh, uh, they're going to play the nineteen twenty seven uh, movie Wings, which is a great start. That's a classic, yeah, and yeah. Uh, that's uh, the first ever. Academy Award winner. That's right, the first ever Academy for Award best winner. picture, and, a, and an astoundingly great motion, uh, uh, you know, display of flying, even for its time, especially for its time. Um, to this day, the flying looks pretty cool in this day and age of, of it, it, it CGI. Was really scary stuff being done. Yeah, to get those scenes. yeah. So, so Sunday, uh, open, uh, uh, Sunday, which is the day before opening day, uh, wings, uh, and then on then on Monday night, they're playing the uh, movie from last year, Gravity. All right, which is the Sandra Bullock, uh, George Clooney movie about the space station getting blown up, and um, and, and which a movie which I have not yet seen because it scares the the idea scares me. So I, the movie's was, not. Go ahead. It was terrifying to watch. I, I would think so, Jeb. Did, what, did you, what were you going to say? Uh, I didn't find it terrifying. It was interesting. It was visually yeah. visually stunning. I think um, someone doesn't know a whole lot about orbital mechanics in some areas, but. Neither do I, is the punchline. Uh, 
Um, it was a good movie. I, I don't recall it being Oscar quality, but then again, I'm not a film critic, so what the heck do I know? Yeah. So um, that's yeah. that, that's Monday night. Tuesday night, Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, this is the latest edition from the Star Trek series. Uh, David, you are the uh, surprisingly up-to-date science fiction movie um, <laughs> fan. So have you seen Star Trek Into Darkness? Oh, yeah. 3D. At, yeah, huge screen. Actually, we saw it in uh, what do you call that special format? Uh, uh, IMAX. IMAX. Okay. Yeah. Right. So that I don't think it's going to be in 3D at AirVenture, but uh, it's going to be on the big outdoor screen there on Tuesday night. Wednesday night, uh, a, a film, a movie I've never heard of before. It's called The Millionaires Unit: colon, America's Pioneer Pilots of the Great War. Um, the description says uh, this premier documentary tells the story of an elite group of pilots who formed a private air militia in preparation for America's entry into World War One. Sounds kind of interesting. Uh, check it out. It's it's dated 2014, so apparently it's a new movie that's just yeah. coming out. And, yeah. uh, um, could be pretty pretty interesting. That's Wednesday night. Thursday night uh, is Man of Steel, um, the Superman movie. Um, yeah, that's year. the latest iteration. Yeah, um, another movie I haven't seen. Um, I'm not really a Superman fan, so I don't know. Um, it was fun. Yeah. Um, Friday night, uh, Pacific Rim, um, which is uh, just barely an aviation movie, if you ask me. Um, again, I, I shouldn't say that because I haven't seen it, but from the previews and and what I've you know advertising, um, the uh, um, what was it? Pacific Rim was about basically a monster that came out of the deep in the Pacific. And it was the, it's the latest <clears throat> Godzilla remake. Yeah, but it's not actually branded as a Godzilla <clears throat> no, movie. It's, it's not. sort it's of not. a Godzilla it's... wannabe, right, kind yeah. of thing. And uh, but it's Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, well, and that's that. You know, you know, I don't know, David. You tell us what that's supposed to mean. <laughs> Is that good or bad or big or small? Or? It's just a big, goofy, fun. You know, aliens come to take over the world sci-fi movie. Mm, yeah. Uh, this time they emerge from the ocean. Yeah, okay. Let's not give away the ending too much here, but uh, that's... Well, uh, yeah, I, I, then I won't tell you that the humans survive. And then on Saturday, uh, Ender's Game, uh, which is also... I mean, I can sort of understand why this is an aviation movie, but it's not really an aviation movie. Ender's Game is from the, the classic sci-fi novel, um, Ender's Game, um, and... Uh, Recently, it stars an EAA member, and 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 Harrison Ford uh, is uh, one of the uh, the uh, players in this movie, and uh, it's. Uh, I mean, we could go we could go down a rat hole on the subject of Ender's Game because there's a lot of layers and layers about the whole story and subject and author and and whatnot. But uh, but that's the Saturday Night movie. Um, so uh, it, 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 do you agree that it has a different feel than than past years? Um, I don't know. It just feels different to me. It's not like, you know, there's no Disney Plains movie, and there's no. Well, uh, you can't you, you can't realistically expect Hollywood to give Oshkosh an aviation themed movie around which they could build this like the year that they had Flyboys, right? And last year when we had the animated movie. Why the hell not? Planes? Yeah, really. Plus, there's a new Planes movie coming out. I don't know when it's opening, but it's coming out. Maybe it's out now. I don't know. I, I, yeah. I don't think it's out now, or we would probably be getting a preview of it at Oshkosh like we did with Too Planes. Bad. We don't have a way of um, Planes. But every other year, every third year, you know, uh, I mean, there are only so many sci-fi scenarios that can be sliced like 
the uh, pickled ginger that you get with your sushi, thinly. Yeah. The, the, pl- the plot of Star Trek Into Darkness being, you know, uh, Exhibit A for that being true. Okay. Planes. Well, there's a lot of flying in it, uh, and it brings back one of uh, Kirk's arch nemesis, Khan. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm reading the synopsis for the sequel to Planes. It's now <laughs> called It's called Planes. I didn't even know if I want to go with that. I just, all right. Planes, Fire and Rescue is the, is the title. Um, it's scheduled to be out July 18th, 2014. Now, how much closer does it get that, that they don't want to show it off at Oshkosh this year? Um, anyways, those are the movies at Air Venture this year. Uh, not Planes, Fire and Rescue, but a bunch of others. And there's a couple there I think are pretty interesting. I'm going to try and make it to one or two of them. I never do, but I'm going to try. This, I, I'm, I haven't given up. And, uh, and there we go. I, I never tire of seeing Wings. I really don't. Yeah, uh, that could be a good one. Sunday night? That's Wings uh, and Hell's Angels, another World War I aviation movie. Uh-huh. It's, it's just amazing what to watch the aerial sequences with the mindset that this was all done by real people in real airplanes yep. really risking their lives and sometimes losing them to get this footage yep no trick photography no, no computer generated images no green screen stuff just testosterone and Cajones. Yeah. yeah. So, Next item on the list. Uh, Jeb, you put this one there. Here, you're, the headline that you wrote on the list says, Resolved, Cirrus pilots can't fly for s***. <sighs> now, see what you've done? <laughs> see, now, you've, you've forced me. I have to bleep myself here, all right? Because, you, because of what you put on the list. All right? You apparently, not that you have any strong feelings about this, Jeb, but, but what the heck is going on here? All right. I, I, I've learned my lesson. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I, I will henceforth distinguish um, those stories that um, we should maybe talk about among ourselves <laughs> versus those that are for public consumption. Oh, that's, I'm sorry, you, you apparently don't understand the whole idea of the list, but. Uh. <clears throat> no, I, I, I'm going to weigh in with Jeb on this one because to really let fly with this one. This is not PG thirteen stuff. Yeah. So this is basically this is your this is your on field off field landing of the week, right? Um, this is uh, yeah. Santa Barbara. The Cirrus uh, uh, landed really hot and uh, and couldn't stop and went off the end of a you know. No, it wasn't I, it's very not, long. It's runway. not at all. It's not at all clear to me that uh, he couldn't stop. I, I think he probably got stopped just fine once he got on the ground. But he, from the story, he, he, he misjudged his approach, shut off the engine uh, at, at too high an altitude or did not make another 360 or, or whatever the, the deal was on his descent. His, his, uh, after, he shut, after he did shut the engine off, uh, his engine out approach and, and uh, uh, landing just overshot the runway and uh, f- uh, rolled off the end of a 6,000-foot runway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so... I mean, and, he pulled it off. He got, got, everyone was okay, right? I mean, the, I saw the picture shows the airplane just standing. The airplane's sitting there on, on uh, all three of its wheels. Yep, Both so. doors are open. People are walking around. Uh, doesn't seem to be any, any worse for wear. And, and all that's good. No, no question about it. 
You got a mile long piece of runway. Yeah, you know, six thousand foot runway. Six thousand foot runway. Yeah. Okay. Well, it, you know, it, it, and if he'd have gone another run back touchdown distance, he would have been in Ticolotito Creek. At which point, he would have needed an amphib rating or a seaplane rating to right. have been legal. Yeah. Only if he wanted to take off again. Did you see this video of the uh, Harrier landing on the deck of the aircraft carrier? Everywhere I have been for the last five <laughs> I days, know. I have seen this video. It's really weird, though. So, the, uh, so the, if, if, for, the, for the two listeners who have not seen this video, <laughs> um, it's, uh, uh, the, the Harrier apparently had a gear problem and wasn't able to get extend its nose gear. And, and apparently they have a procedure for this, all right? Um, which, which is thunk it. Yeah, I know. They have this, this, uh, this platform that's the proper height and, and shape and whatever, and, and by the way, has to be bolted down because, good, good Lord, what kind of, you know, um, you know, turbulence is happening on that deck as this thing is, comes in slowly so the uh, so the uh, the harrier comes up slowly over the, uh, the the stern of the aircraft carrier and slowly approaches the uh, this this box this platform all right and then and and it and at first it's gently setting down lowering itself and apparently it must be cuz i can't imagine the pilot can see this box any longer so i'm sure he's there's some sort of signal officer lso who's kind of kind of giving him signs and he's gradually gradually lowering down onto this and the the funny part was that he then I don't know chops the power or whatever and he's like thunks down onto this thing. I mean the last five feet are pretty dramatic, um, but it worked and he landed and the nose didn't hit the deck. And uh, you, you know, know I noticed one thing about this video that uh, um, there is not a ground uh, a deck crewman within fifty yards. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, <laughs> and if there had been, there wouldn't be. All right, you know, well, I mean, just think about the you know the uh, the uh, turbulence, the, the 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 you know the jet blast that's getting blown in every which way on this deck. Um, it's always amazed me that these Harriers can land on on a, on the, the steel deck that the deck doesn't get heated to the point where it's damaged and you know compromised somehow, but. I, I thought I read someplace at one point that Harriers, in fact, don't land, you know, vertical takeoff and landing on an aircraft carrier exactly for that reason. But this was an emergency situation, so I guess. Yeah, yeah. You know. they, they use the catapult to get off the deck. Um, I'm sure they have a, a, a gross weight slash power to weight limitation on, 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 executing, on executing vertical flight. Yeah. So they'll, they'll definitely launch with CAT. Um, I don't know enough about their recovery to to say aren't they equipped with with tail hooks i would imagine i don't know I, I i think i've seen them doing sort of a short field landing kind of yeah. thing where they use a combination of of normal flight and the uh, the vertical power and uh, david you, uh, say, you did you just see it thunk down is that why you said uh, you may have yeah come? yeah well and i was watching the video uh kind of fast forwarding through a little bit and i was there's Marvel an awful lot of interview how, with the pilot. I, I really, you can skip the interview with the pilot. I just wanted to see the pictures. Yeah. I was marveling at how uh, easily the Harrier got off the runway without having to have a cat shot. That it just flies so well at such low speed. That wasn't a cat shot. Are you sure? Uh. Uh-uh. Okay. Yeah. Seriously, it wasn't a cat shot. It was just a rolling takeoff. Yeah. And so, uh, so that's sort of an off. Where we go? Yeah, That's sort of an off-field landing of the week, and uh, but the uh, the uh, landing without the nose gear, which makes me wonder, they must have this happen with some frequency to have that setup standing well, by. That was kind of the other part of of this. You know, 
gee, maybe they should fix the landing gear. Yeah, right. Well, you know, and I, I was thinking, you know, I'm, I got to figure that there's like a there, there's there's a handful of, of crew members on every aircraft carrier that for like the last whatever it's been 20 or 30 years have been tripping over this foolish thing that's been stored off in the corner. You know, Charlie, did you bring the stool? Yeah, right. And it's like, why do we have to keep this thing? Well, there you go. That's what they needed it for. Uh, there's going to be a second B-29. What? Uh, yeah, we knew this, right? Is this an old story? We did know this. Yeah, right. This is uh, uh, wait a minute. The second one is not is Doc, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Now, this is an old story. We've talked about this before. Well, it's an old story. This is a, a, a new update. Yeah, uh, really? What's Doc the... now has all four engines and propellers. That's a big deal. Yeah, really? Because Fifi, for years, was, was struggling, having trouble with its engine. Yeah, yeah. So, that is good. David, this is happening in Wichita, isn't it? Yes, sir. Have you actually eyeballed this project, or have you had the opportunity to go and see it, or ever? Oh yeah, we uh, we attended a uh, 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 open house that the dock folks had. Uh, oh, Jiminy, about five weeks ago now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was uh, the same evening as a Wichita Aero Club uh, luncheon, uh, which hosted the dock people. Uh, that's Jack Pelton again, and the guy that actually rescued the airplane from the desert. Uh, and they were ready to hang the fourth engine. They had two of the four props on, three of the four engines, and they were moving ahead. Yeah. Uh, we expect to see it at Oshkosh in 2015. Next year. That'd be cool. Yeah. That'd be cool. Some great pictures. This is a story in uh, warbirdnews.com, and uh, a a whole bunch of really interesting, fascinating pictures of the restoration process and the progress that they've made. And uh, um, it was so kind of them to name this thing after you, uh, David. That's... uh, yeah, it is. It is very thoughtful. Of yeah, him. you know, and they even have a character of him on the the nose. Well, the whole squadron, uh, the whole squadron used uh, the seven dwarf characters. Uh, it was Snow White and the seven dwarfs. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so you're just going to ignore the fact that we're, we're, you know, talking trash to you. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> that's, fair. Um, that's, that's the nose art that this airplane had sitting out in the desert all those years. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, shout outs. We got a whole bunch of shout outs here. I just can't even imagine we're going to do them all here. But uh, the first one I'm going to do real quickly, just to remind people um, that we are headed to AirVenture again this year. And uh, really, yeah, we're doing that again. We are. We are. And uh, and uh, this is going to come up in the next point. I know. Huh? Oh, and oh. and once again, I've overcommitted myself. But ah, uh, well, you know what? It's what Oshkosh is all about. So uh, uh, very quickly, um, uh, uh, UCAP at AirVenture, uh, we're going to do, be doing our preview show from the uh, One Week Wonder Tent uh, that will be uh, recorded on uh, on Saturday uh, the before the opening of the show. And uh, unfortunately, the, the the grounds are not open that day, so people can't come and, and watch. But uh, we will be recording that with some special guests and uh, posting on the net. Uh, we will be doing our closing day episode from the uh, flight line out on the announcer stand again this year, and uh, really looking forward to that. That'll be recorded on Sunday morning at closing day and uh, posted either that afternoon or the next morning. We'll be doing a UCAP daily uh, every day during the, uh, during the uh, flight. We should in. start a pool. What's that? 
on when that final episode will actually be posted. Hey, I, you know, I oh, okay. the, the, the winner gets a free subscription to UCAP. To UCAP, that's right. UCAP dailies every day uh, throughout the uh, throughout the week. Uh, they will be posted in our feed. Um, all of our episodes. Um, the 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 closing day announcer stand episode is actually broadcast live on EAA Radio and uh, on their both their radio frequency and their uh, internet stream. Um, and uh, uh, both the uh, preview show and each of the dailies will be broadcast a little bit later on, not live, but will be broadcast later also on ea radio so um if and you, things get better with age yeah, so, so uh, a lot of stuff uh, from ucap on on ea radio this year um on thursday evening uh, our annual and now traditional and, and rapidly becoming legendary tie-down party uh for all ucap listeners uh, is going to be held thursday evening from six until about dark that's over at the uh, north west corner of the field at the uh, Super 8 gate. The gate at the Super 8 Hotel um, is on Thursday night. And uh, just, a, just a lot of good stuff we're doing. Um, uh, parenthetically, I'm, I should add that I'm going to be trying to do some around the field stuff as well, writing my column for the Air Venture Today newspaper and uh, and also doing some uh, p- uh, blog postings and Twitter and, and things like that. So, uh, um, you know, Stay, stay tuned. We're going to do our best to, to keep those of you who aren't there at AirVenture informed about what's happening all week long. And, and um, you can always call up the newspaper online, or if you're there, pick it up, and you'll see what else we've been doing. That's right. That's right. If you're not on the grounds to pick up the printed newspaper, um, it's on the website. And, uh, you know, so... Collect them all. I Get know. the whole set. I, I do. I have a pile of them here. <laughs> it's like I go, you know, and some of them are getting a little yellow and, and, uh, and, uh, and you know... And faded, but uh, I think oh, that's a sign of age, maturity, and wisdom. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, so, anyways, uh, UCAP at, at AirVenture, uh, uh, rapidly approaching three or four weeks out now, and uh, or at least our arrival there is three or four weeks out. What else? I just want to applaud the state of Colorado uh, for every state in America should do this, um, and they have created a special edition of their uh, automobile license plate. Uh, the Colorado Support Aviation license plate has been introduced. And so if you're in Colorado, you can... I am so going to rail against with my state legislators that they let Colorado do this first. I know, you know. I mean, and uh, you know, there's other states that have aviation-themed uh, license plates. Of course, Ohio and North Carolina being two. Um, yeah, but they earned those. Yeah, but uh, but Colorado just kind of you know out of the blue, so to speak, have decided to support aviation. It's kind of an interesting looking plate. We see the uh, the uh, the Rocky Mountains in the background, and any number. I mean, there's just a serious serious uh, uh, you know. T- it looks like it looks like final at Air Venture is what it looks like. There's just airplanes everywhere, <laughs> um, but uh, but they're just trying to squeeze it out of a balloon. And the controller's telling the balloon guy, "Keep your speed up." Yeah, you know. speed. there's a balloon there. There's a high wing of some sort. There's what appears to be a bizjet or possibly a, a, a warbird. There's a helicopter and an airliner, um, and uh, in all of them in in silhouette. So all all sort of on final for this runway. Anyways, thank you, Colorado. That's excellent. Every state should do this. Mm-hmm. Yep. What else? You guys got any any shoutouts? I don't. Uh, juniors tap tamp down. Um, <laughs> um, no other uh, uh, flying phenomenon uh, in my radar here over the last few days. So mm-hmm. yeah, no, not not tonight. Okay. David, you got anything? Yeah, I got a real quick one from uh, to, to uh, uh, point people toward uh, the uh, writing work of an old colleague of mine, Tim Gaffney, 
Uh, Tim and I were never running buddies or drinking buddies or anything like that. We just happened to be a couple of newspaper uh, reporters lucky enough to get to spend most of our time writing about aviation. Uh, for me, it varied over the years. For Tim, it varied, but most of his work was at the Dayton Daily News. Now, anybody that follows aviation knows that a couple of brothers who put North Carolina on the map in aviation by choosing to do their flight tests there. But they actually designed and tested their designs and invented their wind tunnel and a bunch of other stuff back in Dayton, Ohio, where they had a bicycle shop. Well, Tim Gaffney has put together a really interesting uh, a little piece of uh, literature here called the Dayton Flight Factory, the Wright Brothers and the Birth of Aviation. And it talks about the efforts to pre- preserve the historic places in Dayton where the Wright Brothers lived and worked and the stories behind their efforts to establish an airplane production industry in the United States by creating the very first airplane factory. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, you know, they built it to produce airplanes. They built it to continue to research new advances. <laughs> uh, and Tim's book looks into it pretty nicely. It was just published uh, uh, first of this month. That says three days ago. Uh, I was lucky enough to get a review copy uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and it, it's, uh, it's, it's a fun read. And for an airplane junkie, I learn new things. It was worth the time. Cool. Anything else? Fork time? Time to stick a fork. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What, what, what? what? You got you, what do you got? Yeah, you forgot something. What did I forget? You forgot the uh, uh, the annual um, tie-down party. No, I didn't. I mentioned it. Did you? I did mention it. Uh, yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah. the tie-down party on Thursday. You're an air venture. Don't miss it. Put it on your calendar. Said it's the only time tie-down and Oshkosh come together without you needing ropes. Yeah, yeah. And we're actually going to – so it'll be different this year. Um, in past years, we've we've had the tie-down party out of the trunk of my car, all right? Um, but I don't have that car anymore. In fact, I have a pickup truck now. So we're going to have the tie-down party is actually going to be a tailgate party off of the tailgate of my uh, of my pickup truck. Mm. So uh, – but but we don't call it a tailgate party. We call it a tie-down party. And one day we'll actually have it be a tie-down party. We'll have it around some tie-downs. But for, the, for now – it, oh, we can always hammer a few things in the ground and call them tight ends. Yeah, I know, really. So, uh, no, no, that's definitely going to happen. Mm. Anyways, that's it. We got to move on here. We got to get out of here. Jeb, <laughs> Jeb Burnside is a uh, freelance writer and uh, a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Thanks for being with, for uh, taking some time, Jeb. Well, uh, you been working on anything fun? What's going on? My pleasure. Um, been working on the August issue of Aviation Safety Magazine. Who would have thunk it? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that should be fun. Anything? Yeah. Ever- well, there's uh, an interesting article in here by this guy named, um, the hell is, oh, yeah, Higdon. Higdon, yeah. yeah. Not again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's talking about loss of control accidents. Um, a young lady by the name of Amy Laboda, good friend of the podcast, uh, is has an article in there um, uh, talking about... Uh, a uh, variety of things. Uh, most uh, let me just find it here real quick. Come on, come on, you can do it. You can do. It. That's it. That's it. Yeah. yeah, talking about checklists and how to use them, and mm-hmm. uh, perhaps how how not to use them. 
I might even have something in this issue, and uh, it's, it's moving right along. Talk to me in a few days, and I'll let you know how it comes out. Okay, I'll do that. <laughs> and where can people find out about this and other things about you uh, on the Internet? AviationSafetyMagazine.com, um, AEA.net, where I also do some writing, uh, JEBurnside.com, and uh, on the Twitter and Facebook machines. Yep. And Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, what have you been working on? Interestingly, you should ask. I just discovered that Avionics News has an article in their July issue about Avidyne's 540 all-in-one plug-and-play replacement for the uh, Garmin GNS 530. I'm stunned to find that I wrote the bloody thing. Uh, <laughs> you probably wrote it like six months ago, right? You know, that's what the way. Well, right after Sun and Fun, so yeah, uh, and an article on immortal aircraft and how avionics have helped keep them relevant over seven decades in some instances. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's got me. That's kept me busy, and we're doing you know work ahead, work getting ready for. The big show in Wisconsin. Yeah, so. no, you're you're already on the job there, putting as the editor of, of Air Venture today. There, so. yeah, the managing editor, but close enough. Yeah, I, I've never got this straight. Yeah, you guys have always done this. I say he's the editor, and you always go no, managing editor. I, I'm not sure if I understand the distinction, but uh, well, the, well, the shorter the title, the more the power. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, okay. Exactly. So you put managing in front of the word editor, and you've automatically reduced. Uh, his his seeming powers by half just uh, by adding another word, just so that's by doubling the number of words to describe. So, yeah. so that's why no work at all gets done by that guy Ed who sits in the corner. Right? Well, I was going to say when you put managing in front of editor, you double the workload and have the power. Uh, okay, so that's how it works. All at the same time. David, where can they find you on the internet? Oh, uh, AEA.net for the avionics news stuff that's available on uh, on their website, free to anybody that wants to look there. Uh, avbuyer.com for my work with World Aircraft Sales in London, Aviation Safety Magazine, uh, which uh, occasionally is nice enough to th- throw some of my verbiage into print. Cool. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Uh, I'm just back from a week in Atlanta, which was uh, had nothing to do with aviation at all, but uh, but uh, I was there. And uh, two of the seven days had three of the worst thunderstorms I've seen in a year. I swear, boy, they were. Where, where were you? Atlanta. Really? Yeah, you know this. We talked on the telephone. That's true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I, I, I didn't know the thunderstorm part. No, yeah, right. No, it was crazy. We had some serious thunderstorms in Atlanta, apparently every day this time of year. I don't know if it's a, a climate change thing or what, but uh, um, now I'm home for a couple of days. We're going to spend July 4th with the family. Then, then I'm going to be seven days in Chicago, then home for five days, then Baltimore for seven days, and then I go straight to Oshkosh, where we'll be there for almost two weeks. So uh, um, it's kind of a busy, busy... Uh, two and a half, three weeks coming up for me. But I have been squeezing in some aviation stuff. Uh, I've been doing the UCAP producer thing uh, and uh, pre- preparing for UCAP at uh, AirVenture 2014. Um, I, I'm also planning some different kind of uh, online coverage uh, of, uh, of OSH 2014 uh, through the Around the Field website uh, via its podcast and on Twitter. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm frantically working. I'm actually making progress, and I'm, I'm hopeful, optimistic about finishing uh, Around the Field Volume 3 for uh, ebook publication uh, just before Oshkosh. Uh, if you want to get notified about any of the stuff when that book's out and all the other stuff that's going to happen around the field at, uh, at uh, Oshkosh, uh, you can subscribe to my email newsletter by going to aroundthefield.net. 
Follow me on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash Jack Hodgson. You can always al- also learn more than you ever wanted to know about me at jackhodgson.com. Big thanks to Jeff Ward for all his help with the show notes and in the forums. Thanks to uh, Mike Morgan, Royce Earl, Jim Goldman, uh, and all the listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips that we play uh, throughout these episodes. And don't forget, you can check out the rest of the UCAP website. You can chat with us directly and with many of your fellow listeners in the Uncontrolled Airspace forums. Also, you can see who's doing what on the new ratings webpage of fame and much, much more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, were you going to tell us something? Live to be an old, maybe bold pilot by flying more because, remember, time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Happy Independence Day. Hope you had a good one. Bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. Adios. This episode of Uncontrolled Airspace is made possible by the support of our generous listeners. For over seven years, we've been thrilled to enjoy the financial support and useful feedback of our awesome listeners. For information on how you can join the conversation in our forums, put something in the UCAP tip jar, or even become an underwriter of a UCAP episode, visit the UCAP homepage at uncontrolledairspace.com.